Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. This is Jonathan Galt. I'll be joined shortly by Let's Run co-founders Weldon and Robert Johnson. We got a new theme song trying it out this week. Let us know what you think. I think it's an improvement on what we had in the past. The Brojos might disagree. Maybe we'll debate that. But plenty of action to talk about in the running world. We had the New York City Marathon victories for the half marathon world record holders, Mary Katani, not Mary Katani, Jocelyn Jipkoske. Sorry, force of habit. I'm used to saying Mary Katani wins New York. She did not win. She finished second. Jocelyn Jipkoske winning in her debut. Jeffrey Camoro taking home the men's race. We're going to talk a lot about that. We'll take a look ahead to the Olympic marathon trials in the United States because that's the next big marathon on the schedule. Uh, We might talk about a little NCAA cross-country conference recap, you know, breeze through that pretty quickly. And we'll talk about Let's Run.com on the road. You know, we went to the HEPs. We went to two NFL games this past week. uh, And, you know, some stuff to talk about there. So without further ado, I'll toss it over. Robert Johnson, Weldon Johnson, good to uh, join you guys this morning. Good to be here, John. You're still trying to give the New York City win to Mary Katani. I mean, in our preview, I, I guess we should say we, because I think it went under the Let's Run.com byline. I feel like we totally dismissed Joycelyn Chipkowski's chances. And I guess we have to say we, but I wasn't the one who really wrote most of that. No, preview. the byline was my byline. I'll accept it. I mean, I, I, look, I'm just saying, who did you think was going to win the race well? Are you trying to claim that you thought she was going to beat Mary Katani? Can someone rewind last week's podcast? I don't know. Actually, I was reading it. My first impression when I read the article is like, because I thought one of our sort of criticisms of the field were they weren't that deep. And then I'm like, oh, wait, this woman's field actually is not just Katani and Aga. You got half marathon world record holder making her debut. And then you sort of went through it. And I was like, okay, she hasn't run that well in a couple of years. I mean, she's run okay, but she's no one nowhere near the level she was at two years ago. And she's delayed her marathon debut a couple times. So yeah, I wasn't thinking she'd win. But I agree with Weldon. I'll join Robert here joining the podcast. Uh, John had labeled his preview as a two horse race. I felt like that was disrespectful to the half marathon world record holder. But guys, as I joined the podcast, first of all, I've got a baby to feed. I need to get a sponsor in here. If you haven't been to the Let's Run.com shoe site, you need to go there now. Let's Run.com slash shoes. We have the best reviews. We have the best prices. So even if you're not looking for shoes right now, you need to go there and review your shoe to help others out. And then just get in the habit of going there maybe once a month. So when you do get a shoe, you buy it. We make money and the baby eats. But guys, we probably should have some. John, how are you doing? Weldon has not asked emotionally how you're doing. I know it was a big, disastrous week for you. Not only did you butcher the women's preview in your writing from for our, for your employers here but the new england patriots have lost i have taken i took you to the game and they were beaten down by my baltimore ravens and then or actually a few days before that actually probably the biggest disappointment of your lifetime in terms of running the dartmouth big green getting double last places at the ivy league championships and you were there in attendance yeah, I mean, it wasn't all bad. We would had two positives. Brighton and Hove Albion beat Norwich City on Saturday morning. And then the Dartmouth football team beat Harvard in a Hail Mary, setting up an epic undefeated showdown between Dartmouth and Princeton next week in Yankee Stadium. So there are a couple small victories. Also, England lost the Rugby World Cup final, which I got up at 5 a.m. to watch. So that was disappointing. But 
Yeah, look, Robert's trying to freak out here. He's like, oh my God, the Patriots lost a game. It's the end of the world. It's like, look, we the Patriots lost five games last year and still ended up winning the Super Bowl. They lost to Tennessee. They lost to Detroit. I mean, we they lost to a good team on the road. They they looked a little unprepared for Lamar Jackson, the Ravens rushing attack, but I'm not panicking. Belichick's he's going to figure this stuff out. And then Robert, Robert's calling it my Baltimore Ravens. I mean, look, Robert, thank you for taking me to the game. I had a great time, even though we lost. But Robert claiming my Baltimore Ravens. I mean, you're a Cowboys fan, and to watch Robert dancing and jumping for joy when the Cow- when the Ravens would score touchdowns, frankly, was fairly embarrassing for someone who considers himself a Cowboys fan. I just thought it was ridiculous. I may try to find the audio from our conference call. We started taping it at the end, but John totally said that Robert was an embarrassment at the game, like acting like a little kid in the stands. But I really do. I am a little worried about John's mental well-being. We don't have a mental health. We don't have that support at Let's Run. And it, it slowly started to sort of – your life sort of unravels, I think, in sort of slow phases. And at first, you know – with dead spin sort of fell apart this week. And John and I were talking about that a lot. So then John and I stood in front of the Trump tower and I said, John, I, we're not, we're supposed to talk less about sports. So I turned on the recorder and said, John, let's go hot take on Trump. And he just wasn't ready. And I, I you know, journalism nowadays, it's just not about sports, John. So you got to be ready for that. Then, you know, we're a pretty tight crew here at let's run. And we were doing a lot of stuff on the weekend and, John went to an event. There's a new company called Fourth Frontier that Paula Radcliffe is involved with. And it's a product that you can measure. It's supposed to measure effort by breathing rate. Breathing. And there's science behind this. It's crazy. Like essentially like everyone's done heart rate monitoring or GPS in the past. And I personally think that's a faulty measure of effort. You really want to learn effort. And they're saying that breathing is the way to do it. But anyway, we go to this event and then Saturday night, we run down to the Hoka pop-up store and the Tracksmith pop-up store and we're going to dinner afterwards and there's just no John and England had lost the world cup that day. And I'm just worried that he was in a dark spot. Then the marathon happens. Then the Ravens happen. And John, you look good. You look good. Just keep the head up. Um, The dead spin editor has been fired. So maybe you can take over there. I know you, I feel like you guys are trying to force me out. My excuse for Saturday is I got up at 5 a.m. to watch the game. It ended around 7. Then I had to cover the 5K, and my nose was runny the whole day. And then I watched Brighton play Norwich and beat Norwich. And by that point, I was just exhausted, and I had plans to meet up with my friends in New York, who I don't get to see very often. So I I decided I was going to take a nap, and I ended up missing dinner with you guys. I'm I'm sorry. You know, I know my presence, my witticisms were probably missed at dinner, but I ended up being able to see my friends and get some drinks. I think it was a good trade-off, and I felt well-rested. Jonathan, I thank you. I appreciate you for being nice. Even Weldon's wife said it best. She's like, why would a 28-year-old guy want to hang out with a bunch of 45-year-olds? Weldon doesn't understand that. So, No, I like I – like, don't get me wrong. I like hanging out with you guys, but I – I had a friend in New York I get to see once a year, and he wanted to grab beers on Saturday. So I grabbed beers with him. That's what we do. Yeah, so now the truth comes out. John was asleep. His phone was off. No, 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 no. I, I needed to sleep so that I could get go out there and get beers. Otherwise, I would have been falling asleep at like 9 o'clock like Rojo. Did you hear the other words he said? He said he had to cover the 5K. So people, 
if you if you want to work for Let's Run and don't want to have to do something, there might be an opening up coming up soon. It's my job. I covered the five k. Weldon was showing up like halfway through the race. I mean, come on, man. So if you want to apply for that job, you can actually call and apply. I, I, I get so many emails, I don't really read them. 844-538-7786. That's 844-LET'S-RUN. I actually did hire John because he just kept pestering me. John, was that via email or were you actually calling me? I would email you and then when you wouldn't email me back, I'd call you up on the yeah, phone. Yeah, see? And I'm like, this guy's persistent. It's very good. So I do need a ruling, guys. So if you're a regular listener of the podcast, perhaps we'll give them that, that page where they can send – or you can just email us. Yeah, let's run.com slash podcast. You can give your feedback. We're going to have some feedback actually later in the podcast, thinking of that, Robert. I need a ruling. Am I allowed to use the tip jar? I don't know if there actually any money has come in on that, but I would like to take the money that was designed for John and instead take that for myself. I mean, I spent it hundreds of dollars on the on the Ravens tickets for John. I, I made some mistakes and just kept waiting, thinking the prices would go down and down and down, and they went up and up and up, and we were two minutes outside the stadium before the game started and I had to purchase them for about $700. Absolutely not. That's probably like a crime or something. John, uh, I forgot a monthly subscriber has donated now before people were giving like 10 or 20 bucks one off, but you have your first subscription. Oh, this is awesome. And at some point I assume I'm going to see some of this money because right now (laughs) I have no idea how much is in the tip jar and haven't been paid out of it. (laughs) Wait, also, I wasn't. We and Robert were not the only people to go to an NFL game this weekend, though. Weldon went to MetLife Stadium to see his Cowboys beat the Giants. And the big story out of this, Weldon did not see the Monday Night Football cat. There was a cat on the field. He was running wild into the end zone. Weldon was out getting beers. He missed the biggest play of the night. I mean, I saw it on the screen, but I didn't realize that the cat went into the end zone. We were sitting right on the end zone. It was a great environment. I love the Giants game. There are a lot of Cowboys fans there, but the Giants fans had their white towels. I guess they still want to beat the Cowboys. They're not defeated like the Jets fans and great atmosphere. Chris Weiler, I understand, is a season ticket holder, NYR media guy. Chris, keep your head up. But I had a great time. It's way, way more better, better, way more better. There you go. Ivy League education. And Jerry World. thought the atmosphere was better. I mean, Jerry World might be better now that the Cowboys are better, but I've only been to one game ever at the Cowboys Stadium. And that was when they were terrible. So I had a great time. I'll give a plug out to FanDuel. Sports betting is legal in New Jersey. I'm not a big better, but it said your first bet is free. So I took advantage of that. People read the fine print. If you actually go to New Jersey and do this, if you lose the bet, there's some conditions that you have to make another bet to get the money back. But if you do it smart, you're going to get your money back. But my bet won. So all in all, a very good day for me. And that was your New York City Marathon recap. So let's move on. No, I'm just, let's talk a little bit about races. We gave credit, Jocelyn Jipkos guy. I mean, to me, I was blown away by this. I know she's the half marathon world record holder, but as we said, she hadn't really been racing that well uh, last couple of years, you know, compared to her standard of 2017 when she broke the half marathon world record. And earlier this year, she was supposed to debut in London and then, sorry, supposed to debut in Hamburg. And then she pops up in London and she's pacing the elite women there. So that was kind of confusing. But she shows up and she just destroys Mary Catani in Central Park, which, you know, for someone to do that in their debut marathon. So she was the first debut winner in New York since Tegel LaRoupe in 1994. For someone to do that in their first marathon and destroy Mary Catani, one of the great marathoners of all time, I, I was incredibly impressed. Tegla, John, Tegla. Tegla LaRoupe, sorry. Is it LaRoupe or LaRoupe? I, I really I should know. We've gotten criticism in recent weeks for not being able to pronounce Shalane Flanagan's name correctly. I'm sorry if I'm disrespecting another running legend. 
Wow, that shows John's that shows John's age a little bit. There was some debate, but I always said Tegla Larup. Okay. Anything else to add on Jip Cause Guys win or you know women's race? We got Des Linda yes. finishing as the top American in sixth place. I'm going to take a different take than you, John. I wasn't incredibly impressed by anything about that women's race. Uh, I, I thought that uh, I, I know that it was the second fastest time in, in New York City ma- marathon history. But what was the first half, John? What did they hit halfway in here? Uh, I'm just going to pull up her splits here. I just thought that look at what Katani ran in her buildup. Halfway was one eleven thirty nine. Katani. Katani, excuse me. But they go out in 71.39, so that's 2.32 low pace. The course record is what? Two. I mean, she missed it by what, 15 seconds? Actually, 2.23 pace, Robert. But Yeah, so all they have, what do they need for the second half? They would have needed a 70, 70 something. Yeah, I, if, if Katani's in her prime, she destroys that course record. You know, and, and I figured out what they needed for the final 10K. Um, they needed to average about like, 523 pace, I think it was. They couldn't even do that. I, I just think that Katani ran 67.58 at um, basically 68 minutes at the Great North Run. She was only fourth in that race. This was not even anywhere close to a Katani, in my opinion. This was uh, Katani, a shadow of her older self. And yes, Jeff Coast Guy beat her, and she ran fairly fast for New York. But I, I don't think that, like, these women are wearing, you know, with the new shoes and everything like that. Obviously, they're Adidas athletes, so they're not wearing the vapor flies. But I, I just don't think that this was an amazing race. You know, this is the second best showing fitness wise I've ever seen in New York City history. Um, you know, I, I would have thought that Catania in a prime going out that fast would destroy the course record. I think Weldon's head's going to explode here if you pronounce, mispronounce Catani one more time. But Weldon, go ahead. Uh, I sort of agree because, I mean, it's the second fastest winning time ever in New York, so you should be like super impressed. But Bridget Koskai ran 2.14 in Chicago, what, three weeks ago? So the bar has been raised. I think they can run sub-220 in New York. That's what I would like to see for the 50th anniversary. We can talk about the 50th anniversary next year later. But at the end of that race, I didn't think, wow, this was like the greatest New York women's race ever. I thought they were going to get their record if they really picked it up. Maybe I really should be impressed with a 16-year-old record that's still there. But I kind of was like, Robert, I'm... I, I think Katani's a little bit off her game now. It's a tremendous debut for Jipkoski, right? But like, let's just see what happens, what she can do in a faster course. I mean, I just think winning's the name of the game. That's what Jipkoski did. She almost broke the course record. I mean, Rudy Aga, she was third place. She won Tokyo earlier this year. She ran 218 in Berlin last year. I mean, I, I guess your argument is just these women aren't as fit as they were when they ran these other times. But to, to me, 222 in New York in your debut is pretty damn good. Yeah, but I mean, year preview said a two horse race, and obviously one of those wasn't Jip Koskai. But if one of those two horses, Katani, you know, isn't necessarily in that great a form, August isn't that great. I mean, two twenty five is third. It's an honestly paced race, and only three, two women can break two twenty five. I know it's hilly. Subtract two minutes from the time. That's just shocking in this day and age to me. When a world record, when the world record is two fourteen. Yeah, but no other women's come like. 214 and then the next closest active woman is 217 i mean bridget cosguy isn't in the race you're not gonna have anyone coming close to 214 fair enough let's talk about the american women and i was i i said i wasn't impressed by anything in this race i was impressed by des i i I liked how she went out hard was running her own race 
and was aggressive. I've sort of, you know, we've been debating in recent months about whether she's going to do the trials. And I kind of thought like, oh, she's just going to cash her paychecks. And maybe that's me just being cynical. To me, I was very inspired by this performance. I watched her. And I'm like, she's obviously loves training. She loves to compete. So if she doesn't do the Olympic trials or whatever, it's not because she just wants to get paid in Boston. It's just because the Olympics, she's done, been there, done that, and, and has other, you know, goals that she's more focused on. Or, yeah, maybe they're slightly more lucrative. Whatever, that's fine. I was very impressed by her. I thought she looked good. I thought she, um, in, in the post-race interview that I did with her, um, I was really, I don't know. She's like, look, I'm, I'm at a stage in my career where you just swing away, you know, swing for the fences. Like she's got nothing to lose. And I love that attitude. But then I asked her to give herself a grade. She says B minus. So she was a harsh grader on herself. So I, I was impressed by just, uh, after seeing that, I would not be surprised if, I, if we do see her on the, on the Olympic trials. On February 29th. I'd really like to see her run it. And I think the one thing, you know, you look at the results and on paper, you have Des Linden, 226.46. And then second American, Kellen Taylor, right behind her, 226.52. So only six seconds back. And you guys are... John has mentioned Kellen Taylor's name on the podcast. Well, then can we get a little golf clap? You guys are probably going to get mad at me for discrediting her now. But I do think that at the trials, that gap could be larger. And here's why. Des ran very aggressively early on. She said she wanted to go after the American course record. And, you know, she was sort of, she realized that the second half, she was running out of gas and slowing down. And that's not normally how Des runs. And in a trials race where she just has to finish top three, I do expect Des to run a more conservative race and close stronger and have more at the end. So you could see that gap grow. But obviously, this was a good race. I mean, seventh for, for Kellen Taylor, seventh place is good. Being that close to Des is good. And, you know, we, I, I've, I've said for, you know, the last few weeks, not always, but I've said for the last few weeks, she's a contender at the trials. I still believe that about Kellen Taylor. And there was one other woman, you know, Ameri well, there are a couple other Americans in the field. Uh, we should mention, um, Alephine Tulliamuk, she finished 12th in 228.12. And then Roberta Grona, really impressive turnaround from Worlds. She finishes 13th in 230 And uh, that's only a minute off her PR, so congrats to her but sarah hall she was the other one that we thought could have a chance to be top american she wound up dropping out she had stomach issues she was i don't think it didn't sound like from her explanation that the quick turnaround from berlin had that much to do with it and honestly i don't know are you guys worried by this result about sarah hall dropping out because i'm i'm really not i was initially gonna name you know my i had some hot takes for the week and my biggest losers of the week this week were indeed sarah hall for the women and Andy Bayer for the men. That's U.S. men's steeplechaser. Kind of a strange hot take. I'll get to that later. Um, but you, 222, she's at a new level. You know, you expect to see her well. She was running the lead pack, but now that it's come out, she's just spoken to Joe Pataglia at, at length. She was very sick the day before with her stomach. I, I'm not worried about it. The fact that she was able to run in that lead pack for whatever it was, 15 miles, no, I'm, I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried either. I mean, she was trying to, it was like a bonus run. I feel like not feeling well, called it a day early. It doesn't mean that much. John, you're supposed to say 41 year old Roberta Groner who has a full-time job as well. Mother of three. Six. Don't forget that. Oh, mother yeah, Mother of three, three as well. It's like, you're it's supposed to be real quickly. You're like Roberta Groner, mother of three, Roberta Groner, 41 years old, full-time nurse who got six of the worlds less than a month ago. Or actually her race was the first week of the world. So that was over a month ago. But that's nuts. 
And then she almost PRs in New York. I mean, what a oof, what a week for her. I mean, she's not making the Olympic team. Zero percent chance. You guys agree? Yes. Yes. But I'm 46. I'm a father of one. I barely have a job. You know, I, I work whenever I want to. I'm just kidding. I mean, but you know, I have a flexible job. Father of one. We have someone taking care of the children, and I can't even run three miles a day. She's running like three marathons a year and at elite level, let alone at my five-hour level. So props to Groner. But back to Sarah Hall, I'm not worried about her performance, but I don't have any faith. I don't have any confidence in her like I do. I mean, it's like you know what you're going to get from a Des London. You know what I'm saying? You know what you're going to get from – well, actually, you don't know – a lot of these other women, you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, here's the thing. If you're comparing people on what you're going to get to the cons- Des Linden, who's one of the most consistent marathoners of all time, well, yeah, Des is obviously going to be more consistent than anyone you stack her up against. And I guess Sarah – I was a little worried about Sarah on a difficult course, but she has won a U.S. cross title before. She has won the New York Mini 10K, so maybe I shouldn't be worried about that, but she did the fast flat marathon the trials course is going to be very difficult. That's one thing from talking about the athletes, you know, Jared Ward, Dez, others are like, well, New York is going to prepare you for the trials course a little bit, but they all said the trials course is way harder than New York. So that's something to factor in. Since we're talking about the U S women now, let's break down the Olympic trials. That will be the big next big race for the U S marathoners. I mean, I think Tokyo and Dubai will happen before that, but from a U.S. perspective, all focus is now on February 29th. Not much is going to change between now and then. It could be a, a DNS due to an injury. Maybe someone has a great build-up race that makes us think that they have a little bit better shot than normal. But Jonathan Gallant is preparing these articles. They'll be published soon, John, where you break down the U.S. women's chances and the break down of the men's chances. How do you see the women's field right now? It looks like you've got four or five women that you view as the best people just break it down for us yeah i mean i've got a few tiers here i've got three tiers and you can sort of debate the the women it's a lot less clear-cut than the men the men i feel like the tiers are fairly obvious the women i don't think it's quite the same but here's what i've got in tier one jordan say emily sisson des linden amy Cragg, molly huddle then tier two i have sarah hall kellen taylor sally kip yego tier three emma bates alephine tuliamuk stephanie bruce laura thweet and then if your name's not on one of those lists, you're in tier four. Do you guys have any disagreements? Yeah, who's your tier two again? Sarah Hall, Kellen Taylor, and Sally Kip Yeago. Tier one, please. Tier one is Jordan Hesay, Emily Sisson, Des Linden, Amy Cragg, Molly Huddle. I sort of agree. I think some people might try to want to push Sarah Hall up a tier. Kip Yeago, because of her pedigree, might want to be pushed up a tier. But I guess your tier two is pretty good. So The women's, there's a lot more strong contenders on paper. I think the men's race, I mean, obviously the third spot's kind of up in the grabs, but I think you're going to have, most people probably say the men's people are going to come from five or six guys, whereas the women, you're over 10 people there, right? Yeah, there's 11 people on that list. So, I, John, I, I think that the women's race is, is fascinating. It's really impossible to break down because Jordan has has been amazing when she's healthy, but you know, when has she been healthy? Emily Sisson, she looked fantastic in London, but I was very disappointed in her track season. Des Linden, very consistent, but we're not even sure if she's doing the trials. Amy Craig, when's the last time she ran a marathon, John? February 2018. Okay, so I'm supposed to – I mean, I know she's won a medal before at Worlds, but I'm supposed to be confident in that. Molly Huddle did run well in London. I was expecting a lot more than that. I thought that – 
you know, I, I thought that she ran. I was surprised that she beat those people at Worlds, right? I mean, she beat Sisson at Worlds. But was she running the half marathon last week? Not impressive at all in Valencia. 69 minutes, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like she's, she's not proven as a marathoner. And uh, I just think she may be on the downside of her career. I would put Sarah Hall. I mean, she's run 222. But Sarah Hall, I don't have any. I don't have any faith in her consistency. Sarah Hall is coming on. I think. If I mean, it's weird. If all those women are on their game, I think Hall is right with them. It's just, it's really hard. And then, yeah, I think Kaylin Taylor is consistent. I just think she's a, she's a she's a low layer below those other women in terms of, of of top performances in terms of their life. Kip Yego obviously has been really good in the past, and then I think those other women um, sort of need a lot of help to make the team. Yeah, the way I see it is I think anyone from the top two tiers, I wouldn't be surprised if they made the team. And tier one, I essentially put together was people who have done something really special either in the marathon or in the case of Molly Huddle, she says a very long run on the track as one of the best in America. Sally Kipiego, obviously, she trumps all of them when it comes to track career. She's got two silver medals from, you know, Wells in the Olympics, but she's also just been, she's been hurt for a while and, you know, she did run 225 in Berlin this fall, but Prior to that, she had very little to hang her hat on in the past few years. I do think she she's really a very intriguing prospect going into the trials. But anyone from those top two tiers, I wouldn't be surprised by. If you're in tier three or below, so that would be Emma Bates, Alphine Tulliamux, Stephanie Bruce, Laura Thweet, or you know anyone else not named so far. I would be surprised if those people made it on the team. Not because these they're bad runners, but just look at the people in t- the top two tiers. That's eight pretty much eight eight studs that you have to beat at least six of them to make it on the team i mean that's just it's going to be tough i mean sisson gets tier one she's run 223 hall gets tier two she's run 222 yeah but i i just sisson's also run 67 minutes and a half she's made teams on the track i mean i just think her her pedigree is is high i know that sarah hall 222 is faster than 223 but i think emily sisson's pedigree as a distance runner is higher than sarah hall's agreed I kind of think that Emma Bates needs to be. I mean, I think she, I think her odds are, are definitely higher than a Bruce. Are you guys aware? I don't think many people are because of the two fourteen. But this is shocking to me. Emma Bates was fourth in the Chicago Marathon just a few weeks ago. Now that was two twenty five. So admittedly, she's eleven minutes behind the winner. But that's pretty amazing. Yeah, can we stop comparing people to Bridget Cosguy? I mean, it just serves no purpose. No one's close to 214 in the women's marathon right now. John just wants us to ignore facts. It's, I thought well, this is the era of, of facts, or is it fake news? I'm, I'm, I'm so just confused. saying, what purpose does it serve saying, oh, she's 11 minutes behind the winner? It's like, well, yeah, no one's close to Bridget Cosguy. That's not really, uh, it doesn't really make sense to compare people to that. Now, do you guys want to go straight to the U.S. men's Olympic trials, or do we need to talk about the New York City men's race first? Yeah, let's talk about New York a little bit. I mean, I, I was really, I was not surprised by Jeffrey Kamalora's win. In fact, you guys gave me crap for my women's preview. I picked on Twitter right before the race. I made my picks for the races. I picked Jeffrey Kamalora. I hyped him up in the men's preview. Perhaps it wasn't a huge shot, considering we already saw he was super fit in Copenhagen. He ran a half marathon world record of 5801 in September, but he looked fantastic. Uh, he won it very similar to his 2017 victory in New York, except he closed even faster this time and ran two minutes faster for winning time. And his, his 24th mile just blew me away. I mean, he made several surges sort of after 20 miles, but a 24th mile is a 50 foot elevation gain. 
and he just smoked everyone on it. He ran it in 4.4D. That really just cemented it the field. And watching him run through Central Park, just his powerful stride flowing, it was just a beautiful sight. Uh, maybe I, I was watching it. I just thought I was how lucky I was to be able to witness that, uh, which is not something I feel a lot watching major marathons. So that was really fun. And yeah, I mean, to- total stud. And I think he has a decision to make now about whether he wants the Olympic, the 10 K or tries to run the marathon at the Olympics next year. Yeah. It's an interesting decision. I mean, I, this year he didn't run the 10,000 at worlds. And um, I was talking to Patrick saying his coach, you know, after the race. And I was like, well, did this make it easier that you didn't have to worry about the 10,000 this year? You just got ready for the marathon. Do you think that's why, you know, clearly he was fitter than 2017 when he did win in New York. And I put this in a recap. It's not clear that he was actually fitter than 2016 and 18 when he lost, because those were some really impressive finishes that year, despite not winning 15 and 2018. Yeah. But, um, saying like, well, what do you mean? We did have the 10,000. Like they did run the 10,000 at the Canyon trials. He won it. He beat a guy who ended up meddling at Worlds. So uh, his agent, Valentin Trout, told me, he's like, yeah, it might make more sense just logically to do one more sort of like 10,000 half marathon type thing and, and then before focusing on the marathon. But he's like also at the same time – and then also if you do the 10,000, it might make it easier to come back and defend your New York City crown, right? You don't have to run two marathons in the span of a few months. Um, so that logically seems to be the thing to do. But – you know, also he's like, but maybe Jeffrey at this race is going to feel like he's really a marathoner now. He's all in on the marathon. And if he's more confident than that, I feel like they're going to let him do whatever he wants to do. Here's what we need. Elliot Kipchoge, if you're listening to this, you can't retire before racing Jeff Ke- Jeffrey Kamwara in a marathon again. I don't want Elliot to go to Tokyo, win the gold, and then retire and he doesn't get to face Jeff Kamwara. I mean, can you imagine the hype we could generate? If we had Cam Warra versus Kipchoge versus Bekele in London this spring, I think that the British tabloids would explode with that. And Mo Farah as well. I mean, oh my God. I, I, I'm like drooling just thinking about it right now. So I, I kind of think the most exciting thing would be for Cam Warra to run the marathon. But I agree well, Robert, I kind of get the sense that he might do the 10K next year. Wait, 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 wait. Was Farah going to, would you have him rabbiting that race, John, or about halfway or? Wow. One bad race in Chicago and you guys just write him off. In terms of Cam Warrior, I think it actually I think it's more exciting if he runs the ten thousand at the Olympics. He hasn't run a fast marathon, so maybe he needs to go to London and try to blast one. But I think the way people are perceived in the sport a lot of times, it's like if they're super fast, whatever. If he goes to Tokyo, excuse me, Sapporo, what are we supposed to say now? And raises Kipchoge, I guess it's cool, but I love the guys who have like the 10,000 meter gold. He's got the cross country gold. He has the world half marathon gold, but I feel like this is his final chance to get a track gold. He does the one thing missing on his resume. He's already won the New York city marathon. I'm sure he'll be at the 20 or very likely could be at the, that, that's the thing with the Olympics, but he very likely could be at the 2024 Olympic marathon, maybe the 2028 Olympic marathon, but there will be no more track Olympics hundred percent for him. So I'm tempted to see if he can try to knock that one off. And if he pulls that off and then later gets marathon glory at everything, his pedigree to me is even better than, but I guess what, if he won the Olympics this time around and beats Kipchoge, but that's a tall order. Yeah. That's really, you're, you're sort of convincing me now. Well, that the 10k might be the right choice for him. I still would. I mean, I'd love to see him run London, but 10k and Olympics would be awesome. But the one thing 
Well, are we forgetting? I thought he already earned GOAT status just by winning New York. The winner of the New York City Marathon is the greatest runner of all time. So therefore, he won New York. He's the greatest of all time. Is that not true? Thank you, John. Like, can you go down the streets of Fifth Avenue in New York today and just ask people, like, tell me who won the New York City Marathon on Sunday? How many do you think could actually tell you? Thank you, John, for acknowledging the greatness. Yes, the New York City Marathon champion, now that I'm a resident here, is the greatest runner of all time. It's a good question. John, I started recording my doorman yesterday about the New York City Marathon. Does he like, know you're recording him, Weldon? Yeah, I, I started filming him. Problem was, I didn't hit record, so I, 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 he's like, oh, good. I got left left off the hook because he's like, why do the Americans even bother, man? African guys win. And I'm like, what country from Africa? He goes, uh, I don't know. And he's like, I'm not looking good, am I? It also disproves your point. Shalane won two years ago. You're like, oh, everyone knows Shalane. She won the race. He doesn't even know an American won two years ago. I then said, hey, have you heard of Shalane Flanagan? He said, oh, yeah, I've heard of her. And I go, well, she's an American. She won. He goes, yeah, that was a long time ago, right? And I'm like, no, no, two <laughs> years ago. And this guy's a big sports fan. We said we were going to do man on the street interviews and sort of ask people like who's going to win this year or who won. We should, we should definitely do that next year. I'm convinced New York City Marathon, best weekend of the year in New York, Marathon Sunday, maybe in every city, but there's this like humanity that comes about and everybody is super kind to one another, just in general. My friend Richard, training partner from Fort Worth was here for the marathon. Did you guys know that Michelob Ultra like flew out 95 people to run the marathon? Not until you told me this yesterday. (laughs) He got selected free trip, everything. Anyway, that's an honor. There are 95 calories in their beer, folks. Yeah, free plug, free plug. Actually, let's start talking sponsors. We need an official beer of Let'sRun.com. How about a beer that's sort of light and hoppy with some taste? We'll tag it. You'll put Let's Run on the bottles. Like maybe some money will go to Let's Run. Some will go to charity. The official beer of Let'sRun.com and runners everywhere. How's that for a tag? But anyway, Richard was saying, because being from Texas like myself, he was saying, hey, New Yorkers, they're actually kind of nice because the stereotype is New Yorkers are very rude and New Yorkers are very nice. Robert had his bag open on the subway and a woman said, hey, your bag's open. And then I, but then I said to Richard, wait a second, were you wearing the marathon poncho around? He said, yes. I go, well, that doesn't count. If you're wearing a marathon poncho around in any town, people are going to be like, hey, man, great job. And a shout out to Ben Rosario. He said Ben Rosario told him, this Hoka NAZ elite coach, Ben Rosario, said, great job, man. So Ben Rosario being nice to strangers on the street. You never know people when you should be nice to strangers because it meant a lot to a guy who knew who Ben Rosario was and Ben had no idea that this guy knew who he was. So shout out to Ben. Well, Ben's just nice in general. So, uh, you know, I think he's going to be nice no matter if you're wearing a poncho or not. Guys, we're not going to have to hear this New York love fest from Weldon for much longer. I can, I have breaking news to report. He'll be moving out to the burbs. Weldon will be now supporting Connecticut the home of his um, alma mater. We're moving there in December, so hopefully he will stop this nonstop New York praise from start to finish. Um, but let's talk about Cam Ward, John. You said you can't wait for London. Why do we need to see Cam Ward at London? What is he going to do there except get absolutely smoked? It's amazing to me. Cam Ward is only 26 years of age. He's done so much in the half marathon. He's done so much in cross country. But he's been running marathons since 2012. He's run nine marathons in his career, John. The fastest marathon of his career. This is amazing considering the Vaporfly technology has come out. The fastest marathon of his career was his very first marathon, 206.12. 
I would love to see Camuar, Bakile, Kipchoge, all those guys. What I would really love to see is them on a championship-style course, either the Olympics or New York City next year. I would go Baba over that. I would think Camuar might have a shot. If it's a hilly race, given his cross-country background, Bakile, I think, would eat up that New York course with the hills. And I'm, I don't know what Kipchoge can do on a hilly course. I know he's – if we go to London, we know who the best time trialer is. It's probably Kipchoge, if not him, then Bakile. But um, I, I guess you can say Cam Ward's like more than 10 years younger than these guys. But I don't know. I mean, I, I, I hope that we do get it in London. Well, yes, Kipchoge is going to win most likely. But, Robert, your argument that he hasn't come fast has so many holes in it, I don't even know where to start. I mean – do, do you know? Do, have you heard of a concept called context? Where has Jeffrey Camoro run his last four marathons? New York, New York, New York, New York. He's run 206 in New York. That's pretty damn fast. I mean, he hasn't run a fast course since Berlin in 2014 when he was 21 years old. So I think he can run a bit faster than 206. And one of the reasons I'd like to see him run London is... The dude just ran a 58.01 half. I'd like to see how fast he could go. The argument that he's not, he hasn't run fast. I mean, come on, man. You know better than that. Well, actually, well, then can you go back and delete that segment? That, that hot take of mine, I, I admit now is really bad, actually. 206 last year in New York. So you're going to subtract two minutes. So he's 204. Uh, and now he's got the super, he's got their super vapor flies now. It actually reminds me of the Cowboys. I, I heard yesterday Colin Cowherd on the radio on Fox Sports one or Fox sports radio, whichever way you listen to it. He ranked the Cowboys fourth best football team in the NFL. I'm like, this is a joke. I'm a Cowboys fan. They've beaten. Absolutely. It's the opposite of Cam War. Like, yeah, 206 in, in, in New York is actually pretty fast when you're five and three and three and four of your wins are against Miami, the giants twice. And then um, Washington once you basically haven't beaten anybody except for the Philadelphia. So John, I, I gave you crap earlier, but you have put me in my place. I apologize to the Let's Run fans. My first mistake, and we've been doing this for how many months? I mean, we've been doing this for probably 40, 40 podcasts. Uh, this That's the dynamic everyone loves about Let's Run.com. Robert says something inflammatory. I come in and fact check him. It's a little back and forth. The Cowherd Cowboy statement is so ridiculous. I'm not even going to dignify it with a response. It's just ludicrous. Let's talk about some other guys in the New York City field, apart from Jeffrey Camaro. We had Albert Correa second, 208. Goma Bekele Gebre, the citizen runner. Well, I don't know if we call him a citizen runner or not. That's Yuki Kochi's title. But he had to pay his own entry. You know, did not start from the elite start. He finished his third in 208, 38. That's a big PR for him. About five minutes, he had come in with 213 from Pittsburgh. That was incredible. Then Jared Ward, very consistent. He's turning into maybe the, the Des Linden of the men's side. 210, 45, 4, 6. That is the fastest time by American in New York since 2011. And then a couple really impressive runs from guys way on the different ends of the age spectrum. We have Abdi Abdurrahman running 211.34. That's a U.S. Masters record. Breaks Bernard Lagarde's record from earlier this summer. He finishes ninth. And then Connor McMillan, who was you know in diapers when Abdi was running at the, at the University of uh, Arizona in college, he runs 212.07. Uh, for 10th place in his it's not his debut he ran one when he was in college but it was sort of you know not totally serious but his first you know professional marathon really impressive and uh ed Eystone, he's only 23 years old so the joke was on twitter afterwards ed Eystone said he thought it, he enjoyed that 
people were talking about how young a BY athlete was for a change, which I, I got a kick out of. So some pr- pretty impressive performances by those guys. Some nice humor there by Ed Eyestone. Yeah, for, I mean, going in Central Park when those guys are running, and it's Cam Warrer, Albert Career, and Germer Gebra. We sort of got the result we sh- knew was going to happen. When it's going on, you're not actually certain of it. But Cam Warrer just, I mean, I, I guess he, I say he destroyed them, but he only beat Career by 23 seconds. But the pedigrees of those guys aren't even close. I mean, the top, New York this year essentially was the top four from last year and then some fillers. And Weeks sort of said, look, there aren't enough filling guys, guys in the field, which sort of proved to be the case. But it made an interesting run. I mean, good run by Career. Germer Gebert. Great. I mean, that's just like the sort of story people love. You pay your own entry. They put you in the second corral. You say, screw that. You go out and get third place and win $60,000. Tremendous. Yeah, I mean, when was the last time an unsponsored athlete without an agent finished third in a World world Marathon major? I guess it was probably uh, Sarah Sellers, you know, 2018 Boston. But this wasn't like... We didn't have ridiculous weather conditions in this race. This was a pretty normal race, and he ran great. And some of the guys they brought in, Tamarat Toller, and particularly Shira Katada, who was second last year and also second in London last year. He was only fifth in 210. I was kind of expecting more from him. Well, how about Lisa DeCisa? I know he won Worlds less than a month later, but he didn't even bother to go to the five. John noticed this. He doesn't even bother to pick up his bottle at the 5K aid station. So we heard in the mix in the, in the media zone that he was his agent had to beg him to get on the plane just to go to New York. Clearly, I mean, when you're not going to, the, to your water bottle at 5K, clearly you know you're dropping out. I mean, maybe he started and thought, oh, maybe I'll see how I feel. But wouldn't you at least give it a run for more than 5K to figure that out, whether you're going to drop or not? Um but yeah, the, the Gebre story w- was really sort of amazing, you know, in the sense of we, we said, like, look, New York doesn't want to bring in 10 East Africans. They don't want the 10th place guy to be East African. They like to have a good race up front, but they like the human interest stories, sort of, oh, two Americans were in the top 10 and an Australian as well and an Irishman. But it, 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 they're kind of playing a, a game of a, a little risky here, Russian roulette. I mean, if you water down the fields too much and it's not deep enough, you're going to have guys like Gebre who realize, hey, if I can run 210, there's a $10,000 bonus for breaking 210. So, and I'll finish at least fifth place. You know, he ended up doing better than that and making $55,000. $60,000, in fact. Pretty interesting stuff. And after the race, I was wondering myself, I was like, wait a minute. We said there's only four guys in this field under 208. And I thought to myself, wait, how many people do you need to be an IAAF gold rubble race? I, I feel like New York's not going to hit this criteria. So I Google around, I find an IAAF document. And it says you have to have six runners ranked in the top 150 in the world to qualify. And here are the rail rankings of the, of the runners heading. Now, the, these are the rankings as of December 4th of last year. But even if you looked them up currently, they still would have only been five runners ranked in the top 150 in the world. Tamara Tola was fifth. Lelisa DeCisa, 31st. Shura Katata, sixth. Jeffrey Kamara, 28th. Albert Career, 39th. And then if you drop the next two highest ranked places were Steven Sambu of Kenya and Arne Gabius of Germany. They're both in the 160s. So I, I like wrote the IAAF and I was like, it looks like New York is going to lose its gold label status. And they wrote back and said, oh, no, the document you're looking at is actually um, we, we changed it. That was a tentative thing, but we changed it and said that to be gold to be gold label status, you just need six out of the top 200. So they, they, they made a gold level runner. Anyone who's ranked in the top 200 at the end of this year 
You need six of those runners in your race for next year to get that status. So New York does qualify, but just barely. Well, I think some of the some of those rankings show just how in the marathon, at least the rankings, it's not really a true reflection of who the top runners are because there's just such a limited body of work. I mean, Jeffrey Camorra only runs one marathon a year. He's definitely one of the top 10 marathoners in the world. DeCisa, same thing. I mean, maybe the world championship hasn't been factored in yet. But I think the va- the bigger picture of, yeah, a couple more guys to bring up the depth should be good. The world marathon majors, if they're going to have this special status for the Olympics, they need to have an even higher standard. And there's talk of expansion of the world marathon majors, which would dilute them even further. So... Do we want to go there actually a little bit? John, do you know what cities are up for expansion in the World Marathon Majors? I'm going to guess somewhere in China and maybe Singapore as well. Okay. Why would you say those? Well, Wanda, isn't Wanda one of the sponsors of the World Marathon Majors now? Actually, that's that's actually dead on. Um, so I posed this question to Robert and he's like, oh, it'll be in Asia. That's where the money is. And they people there really care about status and so you guys are kind of on the same train of thought but they had these signs up at the marathon the little billboard and it was talking about wanda and potential expansion and so a couple things and i find this interesting and i think we need to look into this a bit more so wanda which now is a chinese conglomerate second richest man in china owns it uh, they now own the Ironman triathlons. They now own the rock and roll marathons. And they now have a 10-year sponsorship agreement with the World Marathon Majors. And they're going to be the title sponsor of the Diamond League beginning next year. There's a second Diamond League coming to China in addition to Shanghai. Yeah, so Wanda sort of, in addition to being conglomerate, it's like super involved with, you know, sport. So there's a little thing, and this has come out. You kind of ignore it when you hear it. You don't think much of it, like... But it says the standard chartered Singapore Marathon and the Chengdu Marathon, which is in China, are both candidate races aiming to become the next Abbott World Marathon majors. There is a long-term assessment period, and the races must pass a stringent set of criteria multiple times before they can be inducted into the majors. Do you guys know what those two races share in common? They're both less than 10 years old. They're both Wanda races. (laughs) I mean, so... Wait, are we selecting the best marathons in the world or are we just selecting Wanda pays a bunch of money and they get to join the World Marathon Majors? So this is just from my preliminary work. The Chengdu race, I think, is owned by Wanda, or at least they run it. And the Singapore, a lot of these races, you know, are like nonprofits or a local group might own them. But Wanda runs that race. So, you know, you can run the race and not actually own it. So, like, Wanda could never own New York City Marathon, but they could pay to sponsor it or that sort of thing. So... I think that's a sort of interesting thing. Where are we going with the sport? Is the World for Marathon majors? You're taking Chinese money. What does that mean? Yeah, everyone in the streets are running for cancer research and to help the world. And yet, at the same time, you're supporting human rights abuses in China. Run New York and torture Muslims in China. Wow, we just have the let's run equivalent of the Daryl Morey tweet. And the running world is going to light itself on fire now the next uh, the next few weeks. I mean, I think that's a bit simplistic, right? Right, Robert, it's like one Chinese company, but if you're successful in China, you're going to be very tied to the government. But it just sort of is interesting things. And with companies, I'd never thought like, oh, Wanda sponsoring the marathons, never thought much about it. Oh, wait, Wanda, now we're learning more of what Wanda is. Well, let's take the majors in another sport, right? If you're, if you're, if you're in tennis, 
did the tennis majors decide, hey, we're going to take a bunch of money from a Chinese company and then, oh, wait, we're going to expand possibly into companies owned by the companies paying to sponsor us. It's just an interesting thing. And I'm sort of going off on this a little bit early, but it's like, wait, like, are these just the greatest marathons in the world or are there more commercial interests here involved? And it's interesting because London, Boston, New York, they've had this huge history that these other races really don't have. I mean, I might sound like a biased Westerner here, but are we really going to make the Chengdu Marathon, one of the most prestigious marathons in the world, by adding to the World Marathon Majors? I mean, I think six is six is plenty for the World Marathon Majors. Any more, you're just diluting what it means to be a you know that's a value to me. The World Marathon Majors is great. It's a great system of races. I like how they're all cooperating. I like how there's a series, but there's prestige that comes with winning a major, and the more majors you add, the less prestige there's going to be. And as we're seeing in New York, there's only so many elite, truly elite runners to go around. So you're going to be totally diluted. But listen, World Marathon major people, Mr. Wanda, is that his name? No, it's not. <laughs> this is what I said before. And I've, and, and, and I've said this all, all along. But these races, this is what happened when competitor group bought all these races in America. We don't need a hedge fund running these races. These races need to be owned by nonprofits. They need to be for the city. It, you know, they need to be for promoting fitness and, and the sport of running, not for lining somebody's back pocket. If he's the second richest man in China, please turn these races to a nonprofit status. You have billions of dollars. You don't need to make an, an extra two or three million on each race. Just do it for the sport. Do it for fitness. Like, l- let's c- common sense here. We don't need to be shutting down a city to benefit. I mean, to benefit some guy who's already got billions of dollars. This is because what you see here, I'm actually glad though that he's into wants to be World Marathon Majors. Because normally, what you see when these hedge funds get is they slash the elite budget. Look at that rock and roll. Look at the at the Philadelphia Half Marathon now. It's going to soon be an amateur race. I mean, these races they don't care about the pros. They don't care about the elite sports. So I'm very thrilled that he is, he is into that. But I just don't want profit being the number one criteria here for these races. Well, it is sort of interesting. So the head of Wanda, his name is Wang Jianlin. J-I-A-N-L-I-N. Also, there was some criticism, I feel like, when the World Marathon Majors sort of formed, formed together. They formed essentially a cartel, right? And said, look, we're the, we're, the, we're the greatest marathons. And I think some of the criticism then at the time was like, wait, so you guys just are the self-anointed best marathons, which I think they actually were. But then it's like, wait, now you guys can just sit on your laurels. Well, Dubai. Rest, rest on your name and shut everybody out. So let's say some Chinese company where some Chinese race started putting tens of millions of dollars in it and got the best fields, some person in China might say, hey, this is unfair. You guys aren't the majors. You're not the best anymore. So why should you guys get to say you're the world marathon major? So it's interesting. Instead of just sitting on being the top marathons and keeping a closed cartel, they decided to take sort of outside money. But it seems like also with that, they then decided to go, we're expanding into races with tied to this partner. I think at this point we need to look into it more, but it's like, I at least till this weekend had no idea the connection here. I don't think Jonathan or Robert, you did either. It's just sort of interesting. Well, I've had my proposal before in the past. It's a brilliant proposal. There's only one small flaw to it. If we're expanding to eight, we need to have each race be single sex for the elite race. You have four pro men, four majors like you do in golf and tennis for the men and four majors for the women so New York would only have an elite men's race one year, and then they could have the elite women's race the next year, or maybe you do it for a number of years in a row. Yes, there would be the weird thing of some amateur wins the New York City Marathon women's race when it's not the pro race. 
we have to deal with it. That might be exciting that people understand that it's not a pro race. Plus, by putting all the money in these four big races, you would have incredible fields. You wouldn't have some watered down fifth placer like you did this year in some of these races. So you have to do it that way. I feel like that's the way to go if you're going to expand. You can't have 10 majors. That's absurd. Eight, and you can do four and four. The other thing these races need to do, again, I know some important people listen to this podcast, and I actually talked to someone who's affiliated with a major who says they're aware of this. I'm like, these races are almost unwatchable. They're finishing on top of each other. You consistently watch the break. Now, I wasn't watching the broadcast this week. So if you were, if you're a listener, did they miss both breaks this week? I know they started interviewing the women's race winner right in the middle of the when the men's race was really heating up. Thank God they finally went. I did see they finally went to a split screen. But email me, Robert at let's run.com. Robert at let's run.com. Tell me what you thought of the broadcast. But Weldon's going to interrupt. Yeah, actually, in the media center. So we have. If the New York setup is sick. They have we criticize. I didn't criticize, but I, I was worried that the second deck of the media center was going away. Well, they repurposed the big finishing tent and rebuilt out a media center overnight. So we had a nice setup area. And then the new addition this year, and I'm sure this is where some of the money went from the second deck, was they had a huge glass enclosed tent just like 50 meters past the finish. I mean, that's got to be the best place to watch a race ever. So I assume that was like the super VIP tent. So that was well money well spent. I mean, great job, New York. They always seem to amaze me with some of the stuff they come up with. It's just so well run. And then this media tent that's put up and just all this other stuff. But in the media tent, we have like eight screens. They're showing the international feed, the ABC feed. And I started noticing it because we had switched between feeds. The ABC feed, look. You guys, ESPN feed, you guys need to, you're, you're missing it. The coverage was not nearly as good as the international feed. Split screen is your friend. The marathon, the wheelchair ends and they go to a wheelchair interview and they don't show either of the two races going on. Whereas the international feed was showing both races. And then Joycelyn Chipkoski finishes. They go interview her. The men's race is breaking. She's not a good interview. It was, this audio was not good. They stuck with that, stuck with that. I'm like, oh, this is a disaster. And I look up at the international feed. It's meanwhile going split screen or showing the men's race actually only at that point. And finally, the interview was so bad, they had to split screen it. But they should be going split screen the whole time. Split screen is your friend. Split screen and the international feed is one of my big winners this week. Well, I, again, the one race needs to finish when the other race ideally would be about halfway, no later than 30K. Now, I talk to someone, someone's like, well, we can't shut down the roads that do, well, that want. I'm like, you already do. You start the wheelchair runners significantly before everybody else. And someone's like, well, we can't have the regular runners go because the wheelchair runners would run them over. I'm like, you could you could have the wheel, make the wheelchair runners stay to one side, start them 100 yards back or 100 yards ahead. You could figure it out so the wheelchair runners wouldn't plow over everybody. Yeah, just start the wheelchair runners. The wheelchair runners start early, right? Just start the elite runners right after the wheelchair runners. Like instead of having like a 20 minute gap, I think it was like a 20 or 30 minute gap in New York this year. Just start, move the women to right behind them. The wheelchair runners will take off immediately. They'll be out. You know, you're never going to catch the wheelchair runners. I feel like we might get in trouble for using the word wheelchair runners. Yeah, sorry, wheelchair runners, wheelchair athletes. Sorry, uh, you know, Robert, I, I blame Robert. He got me saying that word. But, and the other thing is, if you want more time, you start the elite men first. That gives you an extra 15 minutes because they run faster, you know, than the women. So I, I've heard that one of the majors may be doing that. They may be starting the elite men first next year to 
give them the extra time because they're, they're so apparently I, I do have good news folks apparently one of the majors is actually aware of the fact that their tv product is terrible speaking of tv guys again we didn't watch much of it but did, do we have any comments readers write in what'd you think of shailene flanagan's debut wait 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 national broadcast say her name again robert shailene flanagan i said shailene but shailene johnny's from texas we can't really pronounce words he doesn't have the accent but Shalene Flanagan. He went to Princeton. You, you, know, what, what, you want to say you're from Texas? That's an excuse. That's not an excuse for not speaking properly. John, we weren't born in the Northeast. We just didn't. We, the words, Neither was I. They just don't roll off our tongue like they did for you. These difficult Boston words. In Texas, it's Shalene Flanagan. Oh, I, oh, actually, okay. I can, hmm. And John, we keep giving John chances to just go off on political tangents. That's what these young journalists are doing these days. John stayed quiet on the China issue. He stayed quiet on the Trump Tower issue earlier. I just don't want to say something stupid without having thought it out properly. You want, I mean, I'm going to bring Trump back into it, John. All right. Did you guys hear that Trump went to the UFC fight on, I think it was Saturday night in New York City? Yeah, it was at Madison Square Garden. I heard about it. So everyone was pissed off in New York because the marathon, the traffic's already bad. And then the president came in town. Did you guys hear where he sat? No. He sat in the second row, like no box. Like I'm surprised Secret Service let that go. But then it got me thinking. I, I got upset. If Trump could go to the UFC, why wouldn't he go to the? He could have gone to the marathon. He could have been in the little VIP box, the little glass box. It would have been perfect for the president. But John, like shit, would have hit the fan, right? If he came to that, you think? I think the marathon crowd might be a little more liberal than the UFC crowd or New Yorker show, though they can support a president in New York. You don't have to like agree with his policies, right? What would have happened if Trump had been at the New York City Marathon finish? I think the New York City Marathon crowd is, and the runners in the New York City Marathon, that's about as liberal as you're going to get for a sporting event. Like, I, I think he would have been booed heavily. Well, I don't know. There's a lot of rich runners, though, John. Rich people like to vote for their pocketbook. But yes, yeah, significantly more liberal than the UFC. I am pleased that Trump did not show up in the New York City Marathon. It would have been a disaster for me and John, because John and I both took our luggage to the media center so we could hop on the bus to go to the Ravens game afterwards and there's no way they would have taken us a huge bag in we probably been put in jail so and also one thing i've learned from being in new york there's like a whole nother level of rich here so that they're so rich here they don't think they have to worry about the pocketbooks a lot of these hedge fund guys and private equity guys and i assume some of them might have been in the glass box at the finish but oh man the glass box was awesome we watched the 5k from there i just thought it was a really cool addition to have some just put that there and you can give people a better seat of the finish. It was pretty cool. I agree. I thought that was a cool setup as well. Well, most people aren't watching the race in person. They're watching on TV. So again, if you have comments and watch the broadcast, Robert at let's run.com. I, every year I claim I'm going to go back and watch the whole thing from start to finish and write the, the worst directors, a detailed free consulting. And every year I don't do it. Maybe this is the year. The only thing I noticed because they, they finally at the end of the race is they were focusing on, on on the women's race at the you know because that was the first race to finish so that was the one we kind of had on and the one thing that I did notice was they kept talking about how Jeff Koskai was struggling and her form looked terrible this was Shailene says Shailene saying this and I'm like what are you talking about her her she's she's switching form because she's going faster like she's sprinting it in like she's and then that ended up being Weldon noticed it it was like you had the split well and that was her fastest mile of the race right yeah I, I, that was one thing I would always tell the announcers to look at is. They have mile-by-mile mile splits in New York online. It's amazing. But they were saying, oh, she looks like 
she's not doing well here. And then I looked at the split and the split just came up for like mile 25 or 26. And she put 13 seconds on Katani on that mile. And I'm like, I don't give a shit what her face looks like. She just ran 13 seconds faster than the one behind her. So look at that. There's a, we, I can link to a thread. There was a thread about Flanagan's debut. You know, some people were asking whether one, it's her first real race. She did do the breaking two or the Ineos one fifty nine. I thought she did Boston too. Didn't she do Boston? This I feel like she'd done one before too, but they made it sound like it was a second race. I think you're right, John. Whether she's better or Paula Radcliffe. I I heard when they went to Radcliffe a couple of times. Radcliffe was riding a motorcycle. I thought Radcliffe was amazing. Like they would kind of throw Radcliffe a generic question, and once or twice Radcliffe like actually like disagreed. Like they they kind of get handed her softball, and Radcliffe like went in a totally different direction. She's like, well, actually, I don't think that at all. I think based on looking at it, like she was really using her eyes accurately to describe what she was seeing instead of sort of going with this. I think a lot of times an announcer has a preconceived notion they're trying to build drama, like oh she's catering when she's actually not or whatever. So you know, I I just think that these broadcast could be done a lot better my number one suggestion would be just to always show the halfway i would like to see the halfway and the mile by mile splits put them up on the screen on espn they have that annoying like top 20 order like anybody wants to see the top 20 come on like they, they can get an app out on their phone what i would like to see is the mile by mile splits devil's advocate like the way london does it if they fit if they fix the broadcast what are we going to have to talk about the next week and what are people going to have to complain about on Twitter as the race is going on? This is a time on a tradition of being a, de- a diehard track and field fan is complaining about major marathon broadcasts. If they fix that, they're taking that away from us. Well, clearly the international feed was was listening. They had some split screen, which is cool. So shout out to Julie Henner, or Julie Benson, right? Um, Dallas Cowboys fan as well. So she was on that broadcast. And actually, speaking about Paula Radcliffe, one more thing about Paula Radcliffe, John. We saw her at, the, at this Fourth Frontier event, kind of caught up with her briefly. And Paula One was very excited because she's never been on the lead truck for the men. She was in the motorcycle for the men. She's like, I've never followed the men's race. I always do the women's. So that was kind of exciting for her. And then we were kind of joking with her, like, Paula, you know, you need to speak out against the shoes. You can, They can put an asterisk by them and you can keep your world record. And she was pretty cool about it. You know, Nike's her sponsor. And, she didn't say anything about them sponsoring her, but she's like, look, technology's always changed. Shoes are getting better. If it can help people, you know, run faster or not get injured, why should we be against it? I'm all for the new technology. As long as everyone has access to it. What they did in 2016 was wrong. It was the equivalent of mechanical doping and it needs to be disqualified. Although speaking of who had a bad week, I will admit that I had a bad week in the sense of the vapor flies did not win the women's race. Top two women were both Adidas, but I have a tweet here from at Rolos, R-O-L-O-W-S underscore 13. He's a Japanese Twitter account. This guy has an amazing tweet, and he has the top three finishers of all of the World Marathon majors this year, including the World Championship. So all seven races does not have Dubai. Dubai is not technically a major. But this is amazing. Listeners at home, I've already asked Weldon and John. They've seen this. So I want you as you're driving in your car right now, as you're running. Don't close your eyes. Don't close, yeah, your don't, eyes. don't close your eyes as you're doing it. But I want you to take a brief pause. Of the 21 top three finishers in the women's in the men's field at the World Marathon Majors this year, guess how many of them were wearing the Nike Vaporfly 4% or some version of that, next percent, some version of the Nike Vaporfly? Come on, go ahead and guess. Of the 21. Okay, here's the answer. The answer is 19. 
That's over 90%. I don't want to hear that Nike sponsors most pros. They don't sponsor 90% of the top pros. For the women, it was slightly less. It was 17 of 21. That's over 80%. So that's like a huge advantage. Now, obviously, we're kind of looking for the advantage. And then I was talking to an intern, this woman, some college, soon-to-be college students interning in the New York Times. She was asking me about the shoes. She said, well, if someone can win without the Nike shoes, doesn't that mean that they're not an advantage? I'm like, no, it doesn't mean that at all. But it's just what they did in 2016 was wrong. And those races need to be invalidated. Again, Robert trying to die on the stupidest hill in running arguments. But. It's, it's not stupid at all, John. It's not stupid at all. I'm going to write the NAAF this week and see if they're going to if they, if, they, if, they're, if they'll consider this. And you know, please don't. I guess you are standing up for principle. I totally agree. It was an unfair advantage of the Olympics, and it, in my reading, violated the rule. It said shoes should not give an unfair advantage. And if you come up with a new technology that's completely different than anything else it had before purposely do not release it so no one else can run at it and give it to your athletes, that's an unfair advantage. It's not an unfair advantage now because they have the right to buy it if they want to. Now, one thing that I think that the Adidas boost perhaps was an unfair advantage for the Adidas athletes. Back five, ten years ago, we had Jeffrey Mutai, Emmanuel Mutai, all these guys just dominating race after race. Every Adidas couldn't win a race if they had uh, – Nike couldn't win a marathon if they had to. But we weren't aware of that. I, I actually was talking to this person about this. You know, it's like, so yeah, maybe that was against the rules tool, but like, I would say some of this is debatable. It's like pass interference. If you're kind of hand checking, okay, that might be pass interference. Maybe not. Maybe not. It's debatable. Yes. All shoes at some level, you're trying to get around this rule and give someone an unfair advantage, I guess. So yes, everyone's tr- was trying to cheat, but this is the equivalent of tackling somebody when they're, this is equivalent of the New Orleans pass interference play in that game last year. When you tackle somebody, you know, it's a flag and you throw it up. Well, actually, the the refs don't seem to know that this year if we've been watching NFL games, Robert. But I digress. That's a different hot take. I apologize to the Giants fans for the pass interference that wasn't called. I agree it should have been called. John, thank you for Michael Bennett. He was a former Patriot. He's very good for the Cowboys. And interesting, John, here's another chance for you to go off. Bennett wouldn't come out. When he was on the Patriots, he didn't come out for the National Anthem. When he's on the Cowboys, he went went and stood with his teammates for the national anthem john what do you think of that i mean not knowing anything else about it it sounds like he's kowtowing to jerry jones a cowboy has never kneeled for the anthem or stayed in the locker room well he'd probably be cut and he had been it's also been in trouble because he lied about the las vegas uh police shooting thing so i mean i think jerry in the past would cut them but what if Bennett gets keeps getting really good and then like game 16 yeah, I think he'd. I think he'd keep him. I mean, this is they kept Greg Hardy on the roster, and that guy was a monster. So we're America's team for a reason, John. America's team. People, don't, there's a stick to stick to the racing, stick to the running crowd, and I'm trying to support them. They email me all the time. So let's talk about a little bit about these shoes. You know, the other shoes now, like Saucony has their version of the Vaporfly. Adidas is coming out with one now. John, I think it was John that has the thing. We're about to publish this. We haven't put it up in the article. But we have there's a theory as to why these shoes are not out on the market yet. And I thought one, one of you guys got the exclusive, or was it Wells and I got it? Please share with the visitors. Yeah, so I spoke spoke to someone. Uh, let's call this person a well-connected source within the running shoe industry. And their theory, it was just a theory, was that the reason why these athletes, these companies are giving these athletes prototypes to race in rather than just releasing to them, them to the public is that these prototypes are actually using copyrighted Nike technology. And by releasing to the public, 
Nike will be able to get obtain these shoes, prove that they're be infringing upon their copyright, and sue them. But by just giving them to the elite athletes, they don't infringe the copyright, or it's impossible to prove they infringe the copyright. But the athletes get the performance boost to put them on level footing with the Nike shoes. Okay, a couple of things. First of all, it's a patent, not a copyright, but that's just. The- oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I mean, Nike keeps coming out with prototypes as well, like Kipchoge, Ronan prototypes. So I think shoes do companies do prototypes all the time. But I think essentially they were saying some of these companies never intend to come out with the shoe. Like Adidas is coming out with the shoe. It's called the uh, Adizero Pro, right? Is that right, John? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like Des Linden, she wore prototypes to win the Boston Marathon in 2018. Right. And to my knowledge, that shoe still has not been released publicly. So some of the thinking is if, if some of these prototypes, that there's never an intention for them to actually come out with a commercial shoe and in that case that they're worried about a possible patent claim because i guess nike's been very broad in what it's trying to patent and some you know insiders also had this debate well like swimming certain stuff you should you just can't patent if you want to make it race raceable you, you can't patent certain technology that would be one way you could go but i i doubt the IWF goes that way all right we we did the Women's marathon rankings for the U.S. Wait a second. Hold on. I got two two more things. Quick hits on New York, and then we'll move no, wait, on wait, wait, wait. trials. No, no. I, I, I need to come in on the shoes here one last thing. Oh, my God. So, John doesn't like the shoe talk, but this is amazing. We I've talk about the-, the shoes every fucking week. I mean, I'm sorry for dropping the F-bomb there, but... No, one, no, one's, no, one's, no one's doing anything about it. So, I learned this. In the 2016 Olympics, a few weeks before the Olympics, Brooks tweeted out a picture of Des Linden's shoe that the shoe was going to race in. It was their, their basic running shoe. They changed the upper, put like Des on it, a USA flag or something like that. You know, to probably try to, try to get some free marketing when you're not allowed to market or whatever. And someone noticed that at the IOC or IAAF, and they contacted them and said, you cannot race in this shoe. It is not available to all. You cannot race in it. So they made Des Linden change her shoe for the 2016 Olympics, yet – all six medalists, or at least all, was it all six? Was the women included? I'm not sure if all three women's medalists, but all three men's medalists were able to to wear a shoe that's four percent better than the other shoe and is not commercially available. That's wrong. It's mechanical doping, and those medals need to be stripped. Whoa! If that is true, you need to write an article on that, and I want to see that. This is the journalism I will support. I've never heard that story. You need to get to the bottom of that and write an article, and that's just pretty straightforward. I was told that by somebody who would know last week. I'll try to see if I can get it. Wow! For attribution. That's pretty good. Now, John, wherever you want to go, the floor is yours. No, I was I was there when Robert heard this story, and uh, it's certainly something that we should follow up on. But I, see, this is like the the regular doping We're tired of hearing about. It. These are big stories. We didn't even realize I, I have an exclusive. Is this when I was late to the five k? <laughs> no, this was. Uh, I don't even know if I want to say exactly where it happened because it might give a clue. But it it Weldon, you were you were not present in this at that exact moment. I don't think. But also being late for a 5K, you can't be too late. I was there before the race was over, and I was watching on my USATF stream. So, you know, I was there before the finish. It's like for major races, you want to be there when the national anthem is sung. So usually I kind of – somehow I time it. Usually it's about halfway through the anthem I arrive. For a 5K that's – you can't actually see them. You need to have a way to watch it, and you need to get there before it ends. He was watching better than we were on his phone, John. He was listening to Bill Spalding, and we were kind of just listening to some random tape. But speaking of the 5K, my biggest loser of the week, Andy Bear. This is the man that always finishes fourth at USA in the steeplechase. This year with Evan Jager, he moves up to third. But if Jager comes back, he's likely slotted for fourth this year. But now we can kiss Mr. Jager's, Mr. Bear's Olympic 
chances going because the winner of the men's 5,000 of the USA championships, and this has not gotten much traction. I tried to hype this up is Anthony Rochich, the former four time NCAA champion at UTEP three times in the steeple, one time in the mile. Remember when he won that mile, he beat the likes of Johnny Gregorak, Lowey Lang, some pretty good people. Um, he is now a U.S. citizen. He wins the road 5K. And then I talked to Scott Scott Simmons, and I couldn't believe it. I said, well, you've already got a couple other good steeplechasers. you got Stanley Kebenay and Hillary Bohr, who are both top 10 in the world this year. I said, how does he compare to them? And he didn't directly answer that question, but the way he answered it, it sounded like he may think he's they're better than he's better than them. Rotiches, because he says, I really think this is a guy that can medal on the world stage. And he did when he said that to me, he elaborated. It didn't sound like he was limiting to just the steeple. He acts like this guy's got real speed and can medal potentially in a 5,000 or even a 1,500. 1,500. Yeah. All right. Robert, I mean, he's going to medal in a 1,500 at Worlds. I'm sorry. That's one of the most ridiculous things you've ever said. Well, okay, okay, John. Let's look up the results here for Anthony Rotich at the. How much did he did Johnny Gagorak not make a world championship final? I mean, is that true? Yeah, he wasn't even close to meddling. Anthony Rotich, he of the three forty two fifteen hundred PB and three fifty nine fifteen hundred mile personal best. This guy is going to medal at a world championships. I mean, Robert, I can't. Believe, this is the most I've ever seen anyone get carried away by some road race result in November. And now you're saying this guy, all right, here's his steeple chase progression. He says PR of 821 in 2013. Since then, he's gone 830, 833, 827, 827, 834. Andy Bayer just ran 812 in the world championship final. I mean, the, the idea that you're just writing, it's writing off Bayer and saying that Rotich, you know, he's the guy because I had a conversation with his coach is absurd. John, you got to realize what was going on. Robert, because of the baby, which is now two years old, hasn't been to a lot of meets recently. So he actually talked to Scott Simmons and was so excited that Scott Simmons sort of gave him a scoop that it's just been amplified. So coaches, agents, if you really want to get something played up, just leak it to Robert and he'll like blow it out of the water. But I, oh, should we have a new segment for the podcast? Like a lot of people vote. We'll kind of do this in the off season. And like each week, one of us gets voted off and like they're off the podcast the next week. I, mean, that, I guess then it'd be hard because then we'd only have two guys on the next week and one guy would get voted off. It was true. I felt like I hadn't been at an event and actually done a real interview and like maybe since the iPhone was inter- invented, like I wasn't sure how to do the interview. But what do you mean? So do you think Scott was just playing me to try to get Rotich's sponsorship or something? I think Scott thinks very highly of his guys, but sometimes he, he might overhype them a little bit. And I think that looking at I mean, I, I just think, Robert, sometimes you have a tendency to overhype guys. We were talking about one guy when we were in New York. Ben Sorrell, you cr- proclaimed him the next great American distance runner back in right. 2014. If he didn't have the Graves disease or whatever it was, he would be. Did you or did you not say that Anthony Rotich could possibly medal in a 1500? Scott Simmons implied that he could win in other medal in, in an event besides the steeplechase. The most likely one would be the 5,000, I guess, but the 1,500? What do you mean? 1,500 is absurd. <laughs> Come on, man. Why is it absurd? He smoked Mac Fleet. He smoked Johnny Gregoric. He beat Gregoric by 1.6 seconds. Johnny he Gregoric. beat Mac Fleet in a race in well, Mac Fleet's no good now. And this is – he beat guy, these guys in a race five years ago, and you think that means they can medal a world? I'm just – it's ludicrous. Robert, this is good, though. Finally, John – it's bringing down Johnny Gregoric. Well, usually we hear about Johnny Gregoric, world's greatest 1,500-meter runner because John beat him once in a race in high school. He wiped the floor of a, now, of a guy who's now a 349-miler. Wiped the floor of him. 
five years ago. Who cares? Now he's back to training. And I asked Scott about this. He said the training wasn't very high at their level. It was a collegiate training. Now they're doing pro training. All right. Can we keep the subject going? And- John, how much do you want to bet right now? I'll bet you how much money do you want to bet right now, straight up, Anthony Roaches makes the U.S. Olympic team. Oh, the Olympic team? No, I mean, I think he could. Uh, that's possible. That's that's a. I'm not saying. I'm not saying to write Andy Bear off. What are you giving? I'm trying to think. He's got to be one of the top ten guys in the world because they already got Jager, you got Bohr, and you got Kebney. He's got to be one of the th- three top ten guys in the world to make that Olympic team. All right, let's say e- even odds, even odds, twenty dollar bet. Yeah, he's in. If he's if he makes the Olympic team, not saying he doesn't have to. If he DNS is due to injury or whatever, but if he it makes the Olympic team. No, I, I, you can get. I'll take all the DNSs and everything. So he has to run. He has to run at the Olympic Games. No, he Tokyo. doesn't. No, he doesn't. Oh yeah, no, yeah. If he makes, if he's top three at the trials, he's he he's on the team. But what if he's top three at the trials and he doesn't have the standard? That's not going to happen. If he's top three at the trials, I win. He will finish top three at the trials. I want that bet now. But he'll finish top three in the trials. All right, all right yes. 20, 20 bucks. Thank you. You guys heard it here first. I'm going on a limb. Going out on a limb. Talent doesn't go away. Remember that, folks. Okay. Uh, one more One more quick take out of New York that I've got here. Um, women's race. Gerda Stein. All right. Ultra marathon extraordinaire from South Africa. Pro- props to Robert and Weldon for bringing this up because I, initially I didn't want to talk about it, but it's actually really impressive. This year she has won the Comrades and Two Oceans Marathon. She finished 11th in New York in 227, getting the Olympic standard. Really, really impressive stuff. I didn't want to. I didn't think it was that great, and then I looked into the details. It's actually really awesome. I gave full credit to her. Okay, if you guys heard John's voice crack there, it's because Robert and I started having heart attacks on the camera, laughing, waving at him. John presents it as one thing he wants to talk about. Robert wanted to talk about it. I think this should be an automatic suspension for the podcast next time. A suspension? I think John should be fired for a week or suspended without pay. This is the most dishonest person. These young (laughs) kids will just steal stuff without attribution. You guys weren't even going to mention her. We're an hour and a half into the podcast. We haven't said her name. Right before the podcast, I saw a tweet from David Monty talking about Goethe Stein. I didn't even – she was 11th in New York in 227. I didn't even know she ran, but she had this picture of how great she left New York. So I thought, well, maybe they brought her in so she could run next year. Then I see she gets 227. And John says, why would I give an F about some ultra runner running New York? And then he's like, oh, wait, she ran Comrades and Two Oceans and 227? Oh, that's actually pretty good. And then he leads the podcast with it. Pathetic. (laughs) And leading the podcast. You guys, yeah, we're 80 minutes into the podcast. You haven't said her name at all. I figure I better bring her up or she's not going to get mentioned. I'm just trying to do my job. And then you guys are like, oh, I didn't give you guys credit. All right. Well, now I'm giving you credit. You guys brought it to my attention. Great job. Great job, Gerda. Really impressive stuff. I mean, winning co- comrades and two oceans, those are big time ultra marathoners, ultraman marathons. And then to go to run t- 227 in New York, that, that's fantastic. Wow. I'm, it's paying off. Hoka's sponsorship of her ultra stuff is paying off. John now is ultra running expert. John wasn't going to even ever talk about ultras. And now he's bringing it up on podcast six months later. All right. Shall we move on to the discussion? You know, it's taken us a long, long time to get there. But the U.S. Olympic trials, the men, how we're looking, because, you know, as we said, we've got like basically Dubai, Fukuoka, some of these other marathons Americans aren't going to run. The next big American marathon is the trials in Atlanta. And I'm just going to break down. I'm going to go into the tiers again. So I think we have one guy at the very top. And here's Alberto Salazar mention of the week. It's taken a while to get to it, but Galen Rupp, he, clearly he's he's the guy to beat. He's the heavy favorite. 
after that, I think you have a, a tier of Leonard Correa, Scott Farble, Jared Ward. I think two of those three guys, I think I give each of those guys a 50% chance to make the team. And you're going to say, I say Rupp's probably close to 90. And then everyone else, the chance of everyone else, you know, you know, add them up, you have to get 300% um, out of that. So anyway, and then you, you know, after that, there's a, there's a huge, t- I mean, they had, we had 10 guys break 212 in Chicago. I think all of those guys, well, at least one of them has a pretty good shot to do something at the trials. You have the old guard of Abdi Abdurrahman, Bernard Lagarde, Dathan Ritzenhain. They, I mean, they were all super talented. They've made 12 Olympic teams between them. Uh, Ritz is going to be 37 on the day of the trials. Abdi's going to be 43, and Lagarde will be 45. And it, it's amazing we're even contemplating that those last two guys could have a shot at the team. And then you've got you know a huge pack of other guys as well. You've got Chris Derrick, someone like him. Shadrach Biwat, he had a rough year this year, but I, I think he, I mean, he's, piled up a ton of top tens and majors. I think Shadrach has a really, you know, good shot to be in the mix if he can get back to his level of 2017, 2018. You guys, how do you see the the men's trial shaping up? Well, and John's going to be publishing this article and let's run. Okay, I agree with you that the that, that Rop is a, is a, a tier one. I mean, he's way ahead of everybody. He's a cut above. You said cut above. I'd say he's two cuts above. And you don't consider him a lock. I consider him a lock. I mean, I think if he even shows, yes, his his buildup for Chicago didn't go well, but I feel like if he shows up in the same fitness that he did for Chicago, if that was the trials, he would have gutted through that race and made top three. He went out way faster than the guys. He was still way ahead of everyone in Chicago. Well, I guess we don't have three decent. Although I guess Carrar, Fable, and Ward still weren't there. So yeah, there's a tiny chance that if he's in the same fitness, there are some injury concerns. His Achilles, he had Achilles surgery. I think with the extra five months, his Achilles should be feeling a lot better because it gets a lot better after one year. You're next here. You have career, Leonard Career, Scott Fowler, and Jared Ward. I disagree with that. I put Career at a spot slightly ahead of Jared Ward and Scott Fowler. In this piece that is yet to be published, you say a 207.55 at Amsterdam is the equivalent of a 209 in Boston. I don't agree with that. Boston is downhill. They had a tailwind this year. I think career went out significantly faster. He's significantly better at those guys at the 10K, 27, 20, right, John? Yeah. 59 minutes in the half marathon. He is a better runner than those guys. Yes, he's not as accomplished as them at the marathon, but he's a step above in terms of talent. And I, I have more confidence in him making the team. I would put him at above 50%. I would say like 60, 65. And, and then I, I think Fabio and Ward are clearly the next tier. And then I wasn't sure after that, John. You have the old guard, Abdi, Lagat, and Ritz. Are those guys ahead of the 211, 210 tier in Chicago or is about the same? No, that, I wouldn't necessarily say they're ahead. I think they're all sort of the 210, 211 guys in Chicago are pretty close to them. Like Lagat, I'm amazed at what Lagat did, but 212, 10 in, in Gold Coast, I mean, that's not, if you just take out the fact that he's 45, or 44, and that he's coming from this ridiculous middle distance background. It's not so, like if some random American who wasn't named Bernard Lagarde ran two twelve in in Gold Coast, people wouldn't be you know wetting their pants over it. So I, I think he's he's good, but I, I wouldn't necessarily. Say, I think Abdi, honestly, I'm more impressed by what Abdi did in New York. I mean, running two eleven uh, on a tough course there that's that really puts him firmly in the mix. Thank you, John. No one's giving Abdi any credit, and this is nuts. He ran two eleven thirty four at age forty two. In New York, this wasn't some pancake flat course. Now, granted, he maybe had the shoes, but he was only we're, we're like singing the praises of Jared Ward. He was forty nine seconds behind Jared Ward in New York. 
Now, obviously, Jared Ward beat him, but Abdi's going to be, I mean, it's just nuts. Lagat's going to be 45 at the Olympic trials. Abdi's going to be 43. Like, I, I don't know, maybe because I'm 46. Like, I beat Abdi in a race. Like, it's nuts that these guys can do this. I don't know if that means just shows like maybe the other guy should be running way faster or like that what people can do as they age these days. But I'm just sort of baffled. Like I ran, you know, John at the media race. We ran the media race at Worlds and I ran a half marathon. I ran 231. Like I couldn't keep up with these guys for a full marathon for half a mile. You ran an 800 and 231. Well, then what did I say? You said, I thought you said half marathon. Oh, half. Yeah. I ran a 231, 800 yards, 800 meters. So it's just nuts. Well, got no, not making the team. That course won't suit him. 212 isn't that impressive. Abdi, I would have said no way in hell until now. But this, if he makes this, he'll be the first guy ever to make five Olympic teams on the track in, for America. So that would be pretty cool. But I think after this run, you have to give him a chance. Like, he hasn't been running that well, but, like, he's 45 seconds behind everyone's, a guy that everyone's saying is top a tier one guy. So what a run by Abdi. I mean, if this was it for him, amazing that he could put this together. I, I just feel like for whatever reason, he wasn't the first American. He, the media didn't see him afterwards in New York, but he didn't get the praise he would do. Like, people were going nuts about Lagat last year in New York. He didn't even, you know, he ran, like, what, 215 or something, 216, 218. Like, uh, this is crazy. God, the longest praise of Abdi I've ever seen. Let me interrupt here. He, yes, he was amazing. And I, I want to praise him. That's actually what I wanted to say, but I'm not sure why it took Weldon so long to, to, to praise him there. John and I are about to fall off the video camera because he kept talking. Anyways, two, that's equivalent to like a 210. I would put Abdi's performance this weekend. It blew my mind. I've written him off. I put him ahead of all those guys in Chicago who are running 210s to 212s. A 211 in New York is probably about a 210 flat. So I put him just behind Ward and then, yes, Lagat's not going to make this team. No way. Ritz, uh, I wouldn't rule him out. Again, it's a, it's a talent level. The same reason why I'm putting Abdi up there. Also, he's running like the equivalent of a 210 flat in a flat course, but also his talent level is to higher. That's the same reason why I'm putting career ahead of everybody else. So you got really one spot, in my opinion. All right. I just want to say Abdi was amazing in New York last weekend, but I think you guys are just acting like it's a guarantee that he's going to be in the same sort of shape and you know build up going into the trials. Let's just remember the two marathon, the three marathons he ran before that. He was 26th in Boston earlier this year in 218, and then last year he was DNF in New York, and then 2015th in Boston. That was you know the bad weather year, so you know. But maybe you give him a pass there. But you know he's he's going to be 43 going into the trials. You can't just take it as a given that everything's going to go well and he's going to be healthy and all that stuff. I know he ran great in New York. If he's in the same kind of shape at the trials, he'll be in the mix. I just think. It's once you get up there at that age, it's not a given. Totally agree with you. I'll look at the screen next time when I talk about Abdi because I didn't see you guys waving at me. But I don't think he'll make the team, but I'm just saying this run, I don't think got enough credit for what it was. It was pretty amazing. We don't want Weldon to turn into the guy that talks about his career. And that's one of the things like when Shalane or someone, we know you ran. We don't need to hear you talk about like every race and what it was like. They, they always would say, what did it feel like to do this? We don't need to hear every time what it felt like. People know what it feels like to run mile 12 of a marathon. I don't know. Sometimes I'm interested in hearing what. No, sometimes I am, but not. not I hate it when people do it. So if that's what I said with the 230. That was just me being a 45-year-old guy. For me, also, like his age just bears in because I competed against this guy. That was 16 years ago? Holy crap. The fact that he could just do this. I just want to give way to you're my age, John. 
some guy running this time, you'd be like, holy shit, unbelievable. Two two things here. I'm going to get praise to both of you. First of all, when John spent the night in my house after the Ravens game, Ravens beat down of his Steelers, I did well. Patriots. I mean, come on, man. Yes. What? When John's in there at my house, I did well to do the proper Let's Run.com education. I put on the Team USA sweatshirt, all white, that you got to wear to the Pan American Games for Weldon dropped out representing America for beating Abdi Abdurrahman at the USA Championships in 2003. Weldon got to go to Pan Ams. We ha- I have the uniform. I wear it around sometimes to act like I was a elite runner. <laughs> I showed it to John. I found it amazing that Robert was wearing, you know, something endorsing USATF just to walk his dog outside. I found that very amusing. Well, it's a very old school jacket. It's that white jacket, Robert. Yeah. And also, I owe Abdi one a big time because the only reason I made that Pan American team, he probably would have passed up a spot anyway, was he let up right before the line. So I beat him for fourth place. And I definitely wasn't passing up my spot on a U.S. team because I wasn't making a real one. Well, it, it helps me when I describe Weldon as twice as fourth at USA. So if I had to say once fourth and once fifth, it doesn't sound nearly as good. Fourth sounds like he just missed the team. But the other thing I wanted to praise was I want to give out some praise to Jonathan Galt. If you haven't read the book, well, by the time this podcast is out, this piece will probably be up on Let's Run. You need to read his men's his breakdown analysis of the men's of the men's. 20 U.S. Olympics, Olympic 2020 Olympic trials. It has one of the best lines I've ever read in there, John. I was so blown away by this that I'm just amazed by it. Oh, my gosh, Robert. I know what you're talking about. Thank you. I read it this morning. Same thing. Unbelievable line in there. Unbelievable. What? I don't even remember what I did. I, this I... line is so good. I didn't even think it was true. Maybe we shouldn't tell people, Robert, and say you have to read the piece and email us. No, 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 no. tell him. I don't even know what you're talking about here. So I was born in 1973. To me, the Vietnam War sounds like something that was like millions of years ago. But actually, it went on until 1975. Obviously, I was too young to remember it or anything. John has this piece about how Abdi and Lagat both competed in the 1997 NCAA cross-country championships. I think they were both top 10 in it. And John has this, this sort of throwaway line that they were – when they were competing then, they were closer to the Vietnam War than they were to the 2020 Olympics. And that blew my mind. I thought that couldn't be right. I was like, well, John must be off by 10 years. John must think the Vietnam was, I don't know. I thought it was wrong. I had to Google it. I'm like, holy shit, that John's right. Because I don't, I, the Vietnam War seems to me like World War II because it was basically before my lifetime. Right. Well, I was reading about, actually, I was reading about the Vietnam War unrelated. It just happened to be reading about it last night. Now, the U.S., with they stopped fighting in 1973, but the war itself, you know, didn't actually end until April of 1975 when, when the North took uh, Saigon. So, and at that point, that was April 30th, 1975, is closer to the 1997 NCAA cross-country championships than the 97 NCAA cross-country championships are to the 2020 Olympic marathon. You learn something every day. Actually, now I'm working on Google. U.S. ground forces pulled out before my birth. It was 1972, and we ceased all bombings on August 15th, 1973. So I was only three weeks old. So no wonder I don't remember that. Well, do you remember that? Remember when you were three weeks and Walter Cronkite was on? I think we were still in like the incubators at that point. Oh, yeah. We were born prematurely. We weren't even due to be born until September 7th. So, Wow. You guys were way premature. I'm, I'm glad that both of you surprised, survived. Who are we? We had the same chances of surviving as basically Jerry Ward making the Olympic team. We were given 30% chances to live, and we're both here. Jerry Ward gave himself a 35% chance to make the last Olympic team, and now he's here. And, guys, we need to shut this podcast off. I think we're over an hour and a half. But one cool story from Pennsylvania, high school ranks. 
There was a team that got finished third in their district or regionals. They didn't qualify for states, but their five best runners all qualified as individuals. They went to states and won the team title. How crazy is that? Only in America. Yep. There are where your dreams become reality. Athletes of the week. Yeah. And then let's just give credit. The school does have a name. In fact, it's a uh, St. Joseph's Catholic. There are one, a school women's school, a girl's school in Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah, totally amazing. And then let's very, very quickly just want to run through a couple of conference NCAA cross country results. Cause we promised them at the top of the show pack 12. That's probably the best college cross country conference. Colorado men, they've regained their title. They won the first six editions after joining the conference in 2011. And they lost the last two years to Stanford, but they're back on top. Stanford men, who a lot of people, including Robert Johnson, were touting to beat NAU and end their streak of dominance. They were only third in the men's race. Oregon was second. And number seven, Washington, they were only fifth. So really impressive run by the Buffaloes. I mean, at the start of the season, the question was like, they have three studs. Are they going to be able to find a four or five? Well, Kayshawn Harrison, true freshman, he was seventh in the race. He, he you know, he's really come on. And then, you know, Mark Wetmore found another runner in Alec Horniker, who was essentially a walk. I think he had to try out for the team. Like Joe Klecker had something interesting about him on Twitter. He's a real diamond in the rough and not a fast guy in high school. So now Colorado is looking like, you know, they have a really, they got a squad as they say, Colorado women, not as great on the women's side. They're only fourth defending NCAA champions. Uh, obviously that was a tough conference. Number two, Stanford, number three, Washington, both finished ahead of them. Uh, but they also lost to Utah. I'm kind of baffled. The Utah women, they've beaten Colorado twice this year. They're still ranked. They just came out with a new poll yesterday. Colorado's still ranked ahead of Utah, even though Utah's beaten them twice. So that's kind of weird to me. And then Syracuse, I'll let you guys chime in with just your general impressions in a second. Just want to say Syracuse. All right, Robert, go ahead. Well, you're missing the big story there. The, the, it was number two, Stanford versus number three, Washington. Number two, Stanford just destroyed everybody in the Pac-12 for the women's side. Stanford went one, two, three. And I know Arkansas was impressive at the SEC meet. They're number one in the country. But could we have another Andy Gerard situation here, whereas, whereas we get a new coach and Stanford wins it all? I mean, I, if I'm Arkansas, I'm a little bit worried by that. Absolutely. And Arkansas has a checkered past at the NCAA meet the last few years. So Stanford looking good under J.J. Clark in their first year. Uh, ACC's Syracuse men get the upset win. You know, upset, they're a bunch of teams ranked in the 20s they're all tightly packed but that's the first win for brian bell at a conference meet after taking over chris fox so congrats congrats to him and they did it without aiden tucker who was one of their top guys i was really pumped for syracuse i mean i was uh, uh chris fox was a sort of a mentor to weldon gave him some advice when he was running those guys were only an hour away from me when i was coaching at cornell i like those guys and it's hard to take over for someone. It was really good to see Brian get that win. I mean, it was an upset, John. They were only the sixth highest ranked team in that conference. Now, there were six teams all ranked between 20 and 30. So there's not much separating those teams. But for them to win that was a big boost for them. And that's going to be a crazy conference in the years to come with, you know, UVA and UNC theoretically coming up as well. Yeah. And then, a big, I mean, the Big Tens, this, this is crazy, crazy stat. Wisconsin men won the Big Ten title. That was their 50th. Big Ten Championship. And the Big Ten's been around a long time. The rest of the schools in the conference right now have combined to win 53. So Wisconsin, I mean, this isn't some, this isn't like Iona dominating the MAC every year. This is a real conference, and Wisconsin just year after year gets it done. So that's really impressive by the Badgers. And uh, that was your 
NCAA cross country minute. Is that cross country only? They've been 103 Big Ten cross country titles, or is that counting track, John? No, cross country only. We should have celebrated the 100. John, the cross country minute. You left out the hips. All right. Well, uh, yeah, we have to go there. All right. John, we got to know who our core visitor is. Yale did not win the hips for the 70 whatever third straight time. We've not won since World War II. But hey, there's always next year. The Yale men and the Yale women have actually won. So I, it's just, it's got to be one of the longest losing streaks ever. But the guys are young. They can battle back. I want to see a Yale victory in two years. I want to see the victory at Van Cortland Park. So two years, Yale will be your 2021 Heptagonal Games champion. Well, the, the men's race was actually really exciting. It has. We went to VCP. Perfect day for running. Really beautiful to be out there on the course and watching it all unfold. Uh, but Princeton looked like they had it in the bag at 5K. You know, they were coming out of the back hills. And I was thinking this thing's over, you know, Jason Vigilani, he was all excited and they just, they faded and they, they actually faded all the way to third with, with Penn getting the win and Harvard taking second Harvard. Actually, they could have won this meet. I don't know the last time Harvard won the Heps was a long time ago, but they could have won this meet. If Kieran Tintavat, who was the defending champion had finished higher than 11th place. Instead, they wind up just missing out to Penn, Penn men, Quakers are the champions. Man, as a Princeton alum, I got to admit, they blew that meat. Like, they, they had that meat in the bag. Like, I don't know. Like, theoretically from the year – I think they won They won last year, and they, they had, like, theoretically returning, like, four of the top six. But the two of those guys were injured, including Ed Tripp as the really good steeplechaser. But they put two freshmen in the top ten. I mean, if I told you that they had two freshmen in the top ten, you'd think that they would dominate that meat. Or if I told you that Harvard, all they had to do was put a tenth of it, finish in the top 10, and they would have won. You would have, either one of those teams win. Yet somehow Penn wins. Ex-Princeton coach Steve Dolan gets the job done. That's his second title there. So congrats to him. But I really blame myself because I realized in college, like I wasn't on the team. I was hurt. I was the intramural mile champion at Princeton. But I basically bonded with Chris Lear. Like he was very unhappy there. My friend Victoria, she was kind of unhappy with her running there too. So it wasn't like, it was the best running experience for us. So I really rooted for Yale, and Yale was terrible, never won. And then I get to Cornell, and I root for them, obviously, and we never won in cross country, although we won all the time in track. And now, for the first time, I felt I, – actually, I went to the meet. I wore a Cornell shirt and a Princeton sweatshirt. But it's the first time I wore anything Princeton ever to a Habs cross country um, meet because I knew that my old boss would not be there, nor would Artie Smith, the women's coach. So I, I wear that there, and then – Princeton like blows the meat. So I am the curse. Any team that I root for in a men's Heps cross country does not win the race. All right. Let's give quick credit. Columbia women taking their third straight Ivy league title. Congrats to them. And that's, I think that's pretty much it guys. This is a long one, but uh, I think we had some fun today. It was a wild podcast. I went from, I think John, you and I went back and forth from loving each other to hating each other, but I'll be richer. $20 richer come June. And I'm $20 richer. Thanks to the Dallas Cowboys. John, hopefully you're here next week on the podcast. We can come up with ideas what New York should do for its 50th anniversary. If you guys have any ideas, I think New York should do something special for its 50th anniversary. Let us know about the intro music, guys. Do you like it? Hate it? Do you have a different suggestion for a tune? Hit us up. All feedback, you can call 844-LET'S-RUN or go to letsrun.com slash podcast. And as always, buy your shoes at letsrun.com slash shoes. Until next week.